Hello and welcome to Climate Change Makers. I'm Ann Evans, CEO at Elevate. And I'm Amrit Such, Communications Associate here at Elevate. And for season three of Climate Change Makers, we're centering around artists, producing content about the climate crisis, and bringing in an audience who wouldn't otherwise be part of the conversation. Please join me today in welcoming Rosita Cox. She is an amazing documentary filmmaker. She has just been awarded the Esteemed Artist Award by the City of Chicago, and she's just come out with an amazing documentary called Freedom Hill. So we are so happy to have you today. Thank you for coming. We always like to start off by asking you about your, your well-being. So how is the world treating you? Yeah, um, what a nuanced question. <laughs> um, I presently feel really grateful. I'm really happy. Um, and I'm also exhausted. <laughs> I, <bet you> are. <laughs> I, have, I have a lot of things moving at this moment, um, especially with Freedom Hill. And so every time someone asks me that, I'm sad. I'm, I'm happy, but I'm tired. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's a perfect segue. Why don't you tell us about Freedom Hill and what, that's, what the story is that you are telling? Yeah, so Freedom Hill is a documentary about the environmental racism that is washing away the first town established by black people in the country. Um, which is a place called uh, Princeville, North Carolina. I grew up not too far from there. Um, and the film explores two main hurricanes, which I also, growing up in North Carolina, kind of survived and lived through. Hurricane Matthew, Hurricane Floyd, 1999-2016. Um, but Princeville has experienced flooding um, countless times um, in the past century. Um, they exist in a floodplain but um, they exist in a floodplain directly connected to you know where our ancestors were able to settle after the Civil War, right? And so a lot of people will say, uh, well, if you live in a floodplain, of course it's gonna get flooded. But also you have to examine why communities are where they are today and who are the exactly. people that are going to be, or who are currently struggling with climate change. Um, and it's often our communities of color, our exactly. people, poor people. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, so mm -hmm. that's what the film is about. Thank you. But it's also about community. I always like I, I that environmental racism and, and you know flooding and communities of color. Um, these are conversations we have to have. But I also wanted to create a film that wasn't you know engulfed in our trauma. It's also about the beauty of like growing up in Eastern North Carolina and despite you know the, our communities have chosen to be resilient um, and to and to celebrate and to rejoice. And so uh, the film I think captures all of that as well. So. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. That's yeah. really beautiful. Yeah, that's wonderful. And what sparked your interest in environmental issues? Yeah, so I was introduced to Princeville, North Carolina, not because I was taught that in school, even though I grew up just down the street. I was a TV news reporter at their college. And um, I was reporting in the same community I grew up in, Eastern North Carolina, um, for ABC affiliate when Hurricane Matthew hit. Um, my hometown, Kenton, North Carolina, and almost all 15 counties of the eastern part of the state, completely underwater, 22 inches of water. I drove through my hometown on like a, like a um, National Guard boat for a story. Wow. And so I was sent to Princeville um, to cover the flood damage. And when I get out of the news truck, I'm seeing like first town chartered by black people in the country, like all these historical markers, and I'm like, what the heck? Like, here I am, I grew up down the street, I consider myself conscious, and I'm like, what What do you mean this, this piece of history has been tucked back here? And my first introduction to Princeville, it was already underwater, 22, 23 inches of water. So 
Um, I grew up um, pretty poor in Eastern North Carolina. And every time we would experience a major hurricane, um, I, I would notice that the eastern part of the state was the, was the part that always flooded. I didn't have the terminology. No one taught me about what environmental racism was. I knew that um, when Hurricane Irene hit in 2012, at our grandma's house, we went without like power, um, hot water for weeks, but there were people across town who had power. You know, like these are the things you start to figure out as a child, but you don't really have the words for it. As an adult, especially when I was sent back and I was covering Hurricane Matthew as a local, because as you all know, a lot of reporters are from everywhere. They're not necessarily from that community. So it was a really unique experience for me. And now I have like kind of like the education and the language where I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't right. Like, and I know what this is called now. Um, and so when I was sent to Princeville to do the news story, I felt like Princeville required um, a longer story than the one minute, 30 seconds that we were able to do for the news. And so I always say the film I just started in 2016 um, in that moment and recognizing that. But I, to answer your question directly, it wasn't, you know, like I'm extra interested in environmental issues one day or I studied that in college or anything. It was, it was literal my life that was happening around me and then finally growing up and realizing what to call it and that that created the interest um but for me i don't even call it an interest because it's like a it's like very much so a life or death thing it's like this is a yeah. thing <laughs> like this is my life um so yeah so rosita i know you've started your work in tv and news can you tell me how that whole system works <laughs> yeah yeah um and i always jokingly say i heard i learned not I learned how not to be a storyteller um, by being a t TV news reporter. Yeah. And what I mean by that is we're taught so many things in journalism school. You're taught to remove your entire identity um, and be completely neutral on a topic, even if the topic is like an assault on your entire livelihood, right? We're, we're taught a number of things that are, are taken kind of as law and what the the entire system of like TV news reporting and I and I dare to say I've done like print journalism as well. Um, it's when it's for profit media, um, they don't censor nor do they care to censor community, um, and that becomes dangerous, right? Because the community is always the folks who who are at loss, who are harmed, um, while while whereas their stories are being used for ratings. Um, their stories are being used to to for for film um, not film for news stations to compete for the number one spot, mm -hmm. and just even not even knowing the interworkings of that just that broader picture sounds so severely messed up to me, um, especially when you go to people on the worst day of their lives, the second after the worst thing has happened to them, and shove a camera and a microphone in their face and ask them to reflect on camera like so how are you feeling about your house burning down mm -hmm. I don't know <laughs> you know it just happened um or or zooming in on on like a mom crying or even mugshot reporting um without the in-depth understanding of why why are all of the mugshots I'm seeing young black men 
let's talk about the prison industrial complex. Let's talk about how we got there. But instead, news stations just kind of like give you the surface level story because it's faster, run with it, and then they don't care who's getting harmed in the in the process. And so when I transitioned, that's that's kind of like the long answer of why I didn't want to be involved. I didn't want to continue to build a career off of that. I think that there are also filmmakers, however, as well. Like film is not, you know, this this beautiful heaven of an industry. There are filmmakers who also build careers off of people's pain and trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they'll do they'll do a film about a subject and under the guise of I'm doing this to raise awareness, but then they never go back to that community to do anything else. They just did the film, and now they've they've won all of these awards, but the community is still in the same place that you found them in. And so um, I think without an understanding of um, the requirement to center community in all types of media and storytelling, um, it just continues to be incredibly harmful um, to black communities, brown communities, and poor communities. So... Rosita, in watching your work, I see how people-focused you are. Can you tell me more about that and what it means to you? Yeah, so I I always say we're forced into a certain um, format, a certain way to tell stories um, that we have you know, that we learn in journalism school and it's passed down as law. Like, this is just how you have to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember very like it was yesterday I remember the moment where that all came kind of like crashing in my face I was covering a double a double homicide of a young girl and her and her mother and they hadn't found the bodies yet and I the the police had found the bodies we figured it out and my news director said well you need to go get an interview with the grandmother to now that they know because she had been talking to the news because she was hoping that you know that would help them find her daughter I knock on the door and I'm like, hey, we just want to do a follow-up interview since, you know, they found the bodies. And she was like, what bodies? I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I get like, I get emotional just rethinking about it. And, and I was just like, oh my God, this is not my life. And there are a few other moments. That's the most extreme one. So when I switched careers and wanted to become a, a documentary storyteller, it was really important for me to not do that, mm-hmm. to not duplicate anything I learned in the newsroom at all. And so going into um, Freedom Hill, I knew that these stories needed to be, I knew that any black story needs to be handled with care. I did a short uh, doc series on the Chicago uprisings in 2020, Mm -hmm. but this was, I was a researcher um, on another docu-series a few years before that. Uh, So it wasn't my project, but we spent hours interviewing people about the worst day of their lives the crew was traumatized, they were re-traumatized. And so when I went into the Chicago Uprising project, I brought on a set therapist. And so people were able to share their stories, but they also had resources in the next room where they didn't feel like they just like trauma dumped, which is what they did, right? And they didn't have anyone to unpack that with. And a lot of people, some people didn't even utilize that service, right? The therapist was still there to kind of sage them down. And like, it was just like a meditation almost. Mm -hmm. And just like, again, learning that because I was in a situation where that wasn't like, that care wasn't prioritized. And I saw what it was doing to not only the people we were doing the films with, but the people who were shooting the films. And so um, 
Yeah, going into Freedom Hill, I just knew that this story, like all other stories, needed to be treated with care. Um, and I wanted to be able to include, um, and again, like not not the traumatic parts of the story. A lot of the things that you see are, um, I feel like, very joyous. We do talk about you know, the flooding and the hurricane and the storm and how screwed up it is, right? But we also get into, um, you know, we're not just that. We're such dynamic humans, and there are so many other things going on in Princeville, um, such as, you know, the birthday celebration that the film kind of starts out in. Um, these things happen, and we're still here. And so that was really important for me to highlight. Um, just prioritizing people, I don't force people to if you don't want to talk about it, I'm not going to say, like, I'm not going to ask the question a million different ways, which is what we're taught in, like, journalism school. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in using film as, um, as a way where people feel like their voices are being elevated, um, using film where people feel like their stories are treated and handled with care. Mm -hmm. um, because for so many, since the beginning of Hollywood and movie making in our industry, black stories, black people um, have just been treated so violently. Um, even the language we use in filmmaking these days, like shooting someone. Like yeah. I had my DP was filming something at a school, and when he was checking in, um, the secretary was like, "Okay, what are you here for?" And he's like, "I'm here to shoot uh, such and such class." And he was like, uh, uh, "No, right?" You know, and it's just like it wasn't until that moment he realized how terrible this language is. Mm -hmm. um, same thing, the way we call people extras. Like it's just like, no, this is a human who is also here working. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a crew position called best boy, and I'm just like. Oh, that sounds racist to me. I don't even know the origin of it, but I can. I'm sure it's not something good. So, so that's why it's important. And and how I do that is, I tell stories. I always say I tell stories in my community first and foremost, um, and I tell stories with my community members. And I like to look at it as much as possible because there's still a power dynamic with filmmaker and, and film participant. Um, that is a partnership. Marquetta was, was involved in the post-production process. She didn't see the movie at the film premiere. She saw it as it was being edited. And there were some things she's like, mm, I don't know if I, and some people like, especially journalists and me coming from journalism, like, ooh, that gets sticky. You know, like most people won't share their rough cuts with folks. Mm -hmm. And I think that we as black people deserve agency in how we're presented. So why why would I keep that from you if I'm saying that I'm I'm doing this story? Filmmakers love to say we're telling the story for y'all. Like so, what does that truly mean for real? How do you how do you actually do that um, as a filmmaker in action? So I'll go on a tangent, but yeah, that's <laughs> that's why that's important for me. I think it's um, I think it's crucial. I think the way that we handle people in documentary filmmaking is more important than the film itself. And the beautiful thing is when you handle folks with care, then you guys create beautiful stories together. Yeah, and so I always say, selfishly, people should be more kind. Yeah. Selfishly, <laughs> you should want the community included in the process because it's going to make for a more authentic, beautiful story at the end of the day. So, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And can you tell us about your favorite scene? Yeah, okay. Um, my favorite scene... My favorite scene in the movie are all of them, but <laughs> my favorite Freedom Hill scene, I really enjoy um, Marquetta and Kendrick, another uh, character in the film, picking the okra on the farm. 
I had the time of my life filming on Kendrick's farm. Like, I love, literally the second we turned into the farm, there's like this wild hog just runs past. And my DP is like, is this the place? I'm like, I think this is the place. I think we're in the right place. Um, but I, I love that scene because um, I really enjoy Kendrick and Marquetta um, and just like, the wealth of knowledge that they both are. And it's such a short scene and it's a quiet scene and I really enjoy like slower paced moments in movies. Mm -hmm. Those are, because I I feel like there's so much happening in Freedom Hill, I really enjoy when it slows down a little bit. I love the story about how okra came to America. Um, and I love that little nugget there that like if you blink you might miss it. But that's that's my favorite, that's my favorite scene. And when we were filming that scene, um, that's the moment that I had the idea to do the documentary camp. And so our first community screening, um, free community screening was on Kendrick's farm. It was an outdoor screening um, a couple of months ago. And so everything just like comes full circle um, from that moment. And I, yeah, that's my favorite one. <laughs> and I'm just like, there are so many other favorite scenes that actually didn't make it into the movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 so, what are you hoping the impact for this film to be for your audience? Yeah, um, I love that question. I'll never get tired of answering that. I, I once told someone um, I had mapped out what I wanted the impact to be before I figured out what the film was about to be. Mm -hmm. um, we're in the middle, actually, of our impact campaign, um, which has impact campaign has become a buzzword, if you will, in, in the film industry in the past couple of years. And it's basically when filmmakers um, organize around the topics of their theme with their film. Um, and so first and foremost, I want people to know about Principal North Carolina. Mm -hmm. um, in, the, in the most broadest um, terms, I want people, especially black folks from North Carolina, to, to understand and grow to learn and to grow to um, care deeply if they don't already about the rich history that is in our state that was literally and continuously buried and kept from us. So I want people, and even still like uh, people I've gone to high school with, they're like, oh, Rosita, what are you doing? And I tell them about the film, they're like, oh my God, where is that? They like get really interested and in, in, in angry. And I'm like, home? It's happening at home, that's where it is, and they're like, wait, what? And, mm -hmm. and so I, I, I hope that continues to happen, but I also hope that, like, the film, you know, brings not just people who watch the film, but now people mm -hmm. go off with that understanding. Um, and our main character, Marquetta, I'm going to go off on a tangent because you asked me about impact. Our main character, Marquetta, um, in the film, she's a... A, a younger black woman, she started an organization called the Freedom Org. Um, and Marquetta didn't start that org and didn't start organizing in her hometown, which is Princeville, until she started to learn about the history. Mm -hmm. She, like all of us, moved away, started her career somewhere else, um, and she started this journey back home and like trying to learn about who her great-grandparents were and all of that stuff and learned that her great-grandmother was the only black woman listed as a property owner in 1900 census. Wow. And was like, okay, I have to move back home now. <laughs> like, this is crazy. And in the context of it being in Princeville, you know, that land is being washed away. So she felt an a extra um, a call back home, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so I hope the film does that to people. Mm -hmm. I hope people watch it, learn this history, and feel called back home. Um, and, and if they aren't already, to join the fight for protecting our spaces and our rich history. Um, in our impact campaign specifically, um, I 
I remember um, growing up in Eastern North Carolina, and if you told me that that I would be doing this right now, I'd be like, what? <laughs> like, how did I end up there? There weren't a lot of um, media camps, if you will. Living in Chicago now, I started teaching at an after-school program. Mac Lab, they have an audio booth. The kids like come in and record their mixtapes. I'm like, oh my God, if I had this growing up, I would be on my 18th film by now. Um, and in Eastern North Carolina, it's, it's very rural. Um, there are not a lot of opportunities like that for young people. So we created a documentary camp um, in Princeville, North Carolina, to not only teach you know younger generations how to archive our own history so that it's not you know kept from us, um, but also to introduce them to pathways of being an artist. Um, and and a lot of my students, we had eight young young black kids in Eastern North Carolina this summer. Um, a lot of my students from Princeville, um, and a lot of them had never really considered filmmaking, and now they're like, oh, I want to be a filmmaker now. So. Um, as far as impact with the film, I knew that because of one, I'm from this area, but two, I have an extra understanding of the um, of the barriers and the lack in that area. I knew that I couldn't just do a film. Like there was a very specific reason why I got out of TV news reporting. I couldn't. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the way that we had to do the news. Um, I don't. I think it's very violent. Um, I think that it doesn't prioritize communities. And so as a filmmaker, um, rolling out Freedom Hill and thinking about impact, I really wanted to literally like touch the community. So we've been doing a series of, during camp, we had a series of free screenings um, for the community. Um, and another part of our impact campaign is to um, allow families to host intimate screenings in exchange for sizable grocery stipends. So I literally wow. just want to give people, <laughs> like I was just like, you don't even have to watch a movie, but I just want to give people like, I just want to give black people in Eastern North Carolina grocery money. Um, and then they'll be able to enjoy the film around a meal with their family and hopefully talk about these things. Um, so I, I, when I wrote my impact plan, um, I, I just like emptied out my mind on paper, right? Mm -hmm. And this summer, having done the four-week documentary camp um, with the students in Princeville, and now we're about to launch the um, the family, we're calling the family reunion screening tour. We're about to launch that, and then we'll be going into schools as well with teaching curriculum. And so to kind of wrap that up in a bow, I really want the generations to, to come after, that are here, but that are continuing to come after us to grow up knowing about Princeville. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's going to hopefully change the trajectory of, um, of that land and that space. And hopefully we'll be able to, um, to truly build a community protection around it so it doesn't get washed away. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that you're bringing light to all of this because it, it just makes people realize that these issues hit close to home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Rosita, you've inspired many through your work, but we want to know what gives you hope and what inspires you. Yeah, oh, that's a good question. Um, I love young people. Um, my students this summer, like, I definitely, when I, when I was rolling the film out, um, I had a camp idea. But by the end of the camp, my students were like, Mr. Sita, can we stay an additional week? I'm like, no, y'all, I can't stay here. <laughs> like, I have to go back home to my cat. But I realized by the end of the camp, I have to do it again. And I'm going to have to keep, and I have to do it every year now. Um, and, and I call it the gift and the curse jokingly and lovingly. But 
I'm inspired by um, knowing that there are younger people and younger generations um, that while, especially in the fight for climate change, right, we're not necessarily going to see the impact of all of our labor, um, but being able to look into the faces of young people and know that they will and, and their descendants will and all of that. Um, I'm inspired by people like Marquetta. Mm -hmm. um, people in the community who just wake up one day and you're like, you know what, we're not waiting for anyone to come save us. Um, we are the people that we need. I stole that from her. Like literally, um, she said that to me one day we were filming and I'm like, yeah, that's such a simple way to put it. And yeah, you know, we are the ones we've been waiting for, um, generation after generation. And so when I meet people like Marquetta, you know, we get so, when you talk about, you know, how's the world treating me? And I'm like, that's a come like we get so boggled down with like, the issues of today, right? Because it's depressing and it's sad. Um, but I love to zoom in into communities, even here in Chicago. It's, it's such a spirit of like, we are the ones we need. We show up for each other. Um, and so I'm inspired by that. I think that in the on the journey to build a new world, if you look close enough, there are these smaller new worlds already existing. Um, and that's mm -hmm. how I can wake up and not be like so depressed by all of the terrible news. It's because I, I look to people like Marquetta. I look to people um, who are just organizing in their community and they're not doing it for any recognition. They're not doing it for any money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I have to say that you inspire me. <laughs> you are amazing, Rosita Cox. You are an award-winning filmmaker. You are, in, you have huge impact. You are an organizer and you're a teacher. And all of that is just so beautiful. Thank you for spending some time with us at Elevate's Cafe. We are so honored to have you as part of our um, Climate Change Maker series. Thank you, thank you so much. Where can people learn more about you and your work? Yeah, so um, Freedom Hill is thefreedomhilldoc.com. And through there, you kind of find all of our social media. We're just Freedom Hill Doc on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I'm Rosita Cox on everywhere. <laughs> RositaCox.com um, is where you can find more info about my projects um, and all of that. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Rosita Cox. So thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to check out our other episodes of Climate Change Makers. Thank you.